You're listening to the Transformative Podcast brought to you by the Research Center for the History of Transformations at the University of Vienna. Welcome to today's Transformative Podcast. My name is Irena Remestvensky. I'm the Managing Director of the Research Center for the History of Transformations. And I'm very happy to welcome our guest today, Anna Dobrovolska from Russia. Anna is former Executive Director of the Human Rights Center Memorial. And I hope she will tell us why is it a former. But before that, welcome, Anna. Thank you so much, Irina, and thank you for having me here in these very difficult and uncertain times. I'm the former executive director because Memorial is being liquidated. We happen to be the violent offender of the foreign agent legislation in Russian Federation. This is some crazy legal concept that have been existing in Russian legal system for 10 years, since 2012. And we have been included to this foreign agent list in 2014 after our very public statements against the war in Ukraine. For that, we were included to the list. And we are being liquidated now because two years ago, we have received several fines and several punishment from the government for not labeling all of our social media and all of our websites with this foreign agent sign. Could you tell us a little bit about what Memorial is or what it was and what kind of goals and objectives did it have as an organization? It can be called a movement, like a huge movement of several organizations and groups. I was representing the human rights part of it, and there is also the remembrance part of Memorial Society. As you can see from the name, it has a lot to do with memory, with restoration of memory, with reconciliation. The organization was established in uh, 1989. It was actually one of the first and maybe the first and the only independent NGO, which was still registered in Soviet Union by Gorbachev. It was created by Andrei Sakharov. The main objective for Memorial was the preservance of the memory of people who were deported by the Soviet regime, who were persecuted by the Soviet regime, who were political prisoners, who have been prisoners of conscience in all these gulag camps, which are notoriously known and existed all over the Soviet Union until mid-80s. And also Memorial was aimed to actually establish a physical memorial place in Moscow and in other cities. What did happen, we have established so-called Solovetsky Stone in Moscow, in Lubyanka, which is a very, very symbolic place. That's a place which was a headquarters for the KGB, and now it's a headquarters for FSB. And right on the opposite side from this building, there is a stone commemorating everyone who have been killed or suffered somehow else in the Gulag system during Soviet time. Later on in the 90s, when Russia was already an independent state, there were multiple military conflicts in the post-Soviet countries, and there were refugees coming to Moscow and to Russia from all these places. And later on, the Chechen wars began in Russia. That is how Memorial decided to establish a human rights part to deal with the current human rights violations that were happening at that moment. And that has been the focus of our work for us, the main goal was, again, to collect the evidence of the human rights violations and of the military crimes, to analyze this evidence, to keep this memory alive. Most importantly, the memory about the Chechen wars, about all the human rights abuse that was happening in Northern Caucasus, and of course, the legal aid and advocacy protection that we offered to everyone who came to us. 
could you maybe give us a couple of highlights of what you were able to achieve? Some good outlook on the wonderful work that you've done over the many years. Yeah, it's very hard to give uh, like positive examples or to say that our results were brilliant, but we often understand that we cannot compare ours with some regular place where you can just go to the court, win the case, and everyone will be happy. Uh, but we have to compare us with the uh, with a country with the same conditions where there is no human rights organizations. And we at least can see that the horrible region with human rights abuse is at least somehow better when there is a hope for a restoration, when there is a hope for legal protection, and when people can at least try to go to the court with our help and with the help of our lawyers and try to win something. We were also one of the first organizations who started working with the European court in Russia. Our lawyers were among the lawyers who provided protection for victims of Beslan tragedy and several other very, very loud and important human rights cases. We have very many cases that run successfully in the European court and also on national level, but it's very difficult to say that we were just brilliant and we had lots of success because unfortunately what we could achieve, we can only make this horrible movement slow down a bit, but we cannot stop it entirely, unfortunately. What was it like or what is it like for you, for your colleagues, to be a human rights activist in Russia. So on kind of a more personal level, I would be interested to hear about, you know, relationship between the human rights activists and the state, but also between you and the society in Russia. Well, right now we are in a place where it is just very difficult to be any kind of activist, uh, especially when the conflict in Ukraine started. There has been a, a huge uh, disintegration among society and people feel very, very frustrated. But even before that, we always felt sort of isolated from the society, from the community. The civil society in Russia uh, is quite strong. But if we compare it, for example, with Ukraine, we see that it's not as strong as it could have been potentially, because the country is very big, the people are quite poor, and they are very, very focused on their own problems. And also the state propaganda regarding us as foreign agents or as foreign spies or uh, presenting human rights defenders as someone who is being sent and paid from abroad to ruin the country, unfortunately, it had been very successful. So this whole concept actually goes back to very in-depth uh, Soviet fear of uh, Western spies who will ruin everything. And unfortunately, it was quite successful by the state. At the same time, we were quite comfortable. We all understood the risks. We always knew that this is uh, not a piece of cake and this job is quite complicated. But we had a very nice team of professionals and we always had people who wanted to join us, who wanted to work with archives, who wanted to research what we were doing. Because International Memorial, my colleagues who worked in history, they had a beautiful museum, a library, the archives, and this place always created a large community of people around itself. We were more working with lawyers or with people who were interested in, for example, support of political prisoners, with activists and so on. And we never felt alone in Russia and especially we never felt alone like in the world because we were always very much supported by everyone, like by all of our colleagues. Speaking for myself, sometimes I feel more welcome in some other countries rather than Russia. But at the same time, if you, for example, go in the streets and you start just talking with people, they will most likely agree that uh, things are not going well. I mean, before the war, well, right now it's uh, very complicated to speak about it. 
But even before, if you start talking to them, it looks like no one is uh, happy with what is happening around them, but they're just very scared and they just don't know how to act against it. So how is the personal situation of you, but also of your colleagues from Memorial, maybe from other organizations like Over the Info that you know closely or work closely with? If I may ask, what do you plan to do after a Memorial has been closed by the court? If I may put it very bluntly, do you plan to leave Russia together with your colleagues? I was not planning to leave Russia before the conflict began. Right now, situation is changing like every week or even twice a week. We see some horrible turns of events and most probably I will have to rethink my plan in the nearest future. I also have my family on the border region with Ukraine, which is kind of stressful and I'm uh, very worried for them. A lot of us, we were thinking that we will be able to reconfigure ourselves and do something else. But right now, it's not very possible because there are not so much money within the country to collect donations and to continue working. It is almost impossible to receive foreign donations now in Russia. So all the grants and all the Western Foundation with whom we have been cooperating, they will not be able to function. And just very recently, several German organizations, they were just closed down. They were not included to any list. They were just closed down. They also closed Amnesty International and Human Rights Watch here, who have been quite successful and they've done amazing jobs. So at this point of view, we don't know if we will be able to continue. Some of us are now t taking part in the uh, anti-war protests. Some of us are helping Ukrainians who somehow managed to be in Russia and they require some help and assistance mostly to leave the country. A lot of my colleagues have left the country to be safe and to feel safe and to continue working. It's not an option for everyone, but majority of the people think that they will be able to work somehow on Russia from abroad. But a lot of experience, also previous experience of some other countries says that it's not always possible. Like you will be isolated, you will be far away from what is actually happening here and you have to have at least some team on the ground. So right now Now, all the plans are kind of hanging in the air and we don't know what will be happening. Are you making any plans together with the team of the Human Rights Center Memorial? I mean, I understand that your headquarters have already been closed and that you probably cannot do any regular work at this moment. But I'm just wondering, like, are you running your agenda for the next year? So you're thinking of the next strategy. Are you making any plans or have you resigned with the work for the moment? Yeah, we had some plans that were completely ruined on 24th of February. We cannot say that Memorial will just recreate itself and continue to work because also it will be prohibited by the law. We cannot call ourselves Memorial anymore. We have to call us something else. With the current uncertainty, it's just not very clear what can be done. So we can think of an agenda and plan some strategy, but it can be completely different like in a couple of weeks just because, I don't know, we will have the new... Iron Curtain or something else. So right now it's just a very step-by-step -step crisis management and the constant evaluation of the situation. And we also just try to stay connected to our colleagues, both in the country and outside of the country and our partners in European and uh, other countries. We just try to understand what is going on and what can we do yeah, basically to change the situation as quickly as possible. Can you tell me a little bit, and here I know that you cannot talk maybe very openly, or you cannot say everything, but can you tell me a little bit about how has the war in Ukraine affect your organization or your team? I have been following the news of a memorial a little bit over Telegram in the past months, and it was clear for me how busy you and your team have all been with the court hearings, the court decisions, the preparation and everything. So 
I do not expect that you were only thinking about the war in Ukraine all of these months, but I'm just wondering, in how much has it been a game changer for your work? It was a major game changer, especially because at the end of February, we all understood that our elimination, our liquidation was actually planned all along to coincide with the with the conflict. The liquidation is something that started in November for all of us. So November, December and January and February have been absolute hell. And we were very stressful and very tired and constantly going to the courts. If we wouldn't be so tired and exhausted by all this procedure, we would be much stronger by now. And I can only assume that with our expertise in military conflicts and in military crimes, we would be very much involved in what is happening in documenting, in providing help to uh, refugees on all the sides. But right now, our resources for doing this are very much limited. There are some plans for parts of the team, but they are not as strong and broad as they could have been, unfortunately. Well, I'm very sorry to hear that, and I am sure you you're still doing a lot of good work on this as much as your resources are allowing you to. At least we are trying, yes. Before we finish, I know it is a bad time to make any kind of prognosis for the future, but I am just wondering if you have hope for the human rights situation in Russia to get better and for Russia to be free. Well, yes, I do. <laughs> As a shorter version, yes, I do. But I also understand that it's not something that can happen overnight. That is something that has to be prepared by very many people, by many organizations, by many institutions from different levels of the society. A lot of people are comparing the situation in Russia now to Germany after 1945, uh, that we will have to have our own denazification or de-imperialization or decommunization, whatever you call it. But right now it looks like we have to be there as a country. We have to be ready. And right now it looks like still very many people support what is happening in Ukraine and they feel like there is still a need to some glory moments and only when these moments will not happen or will happen and then will be followed by some other horrible events, only then they will realize that this is this have been a mistake and uh, something else uh, should be done. At the same time, I'm strangely optimistic. I do hope that people who are taking decisions these days, they think and they see all the information. And I think we never had a, a war in the center of Europe with so much international attention. And it never happened in the history that something is happening and you immediately see the multiple information about it in all the languages. You see both sides of the conflict arguing with each other. You can compare everything. You can make your conclusions. But at the same time, I see people who are extremely frustrated in this flow of information and they don't know what to believe. Unfortunately, those people will be shocked when they know everything what is happening right now. Because right now they choose to ignore, but in a way, I feel sorry for what uh, they will know in the future. You drew a very realistic picture, I think, of what is going on and what has to be done so. in the future. Thank you so much, Anna, for talking to me today. You have been listening to the Transformative Podcast produced by Red Set in Vienna. <laughs>